are, Lord, just calling out to you, your, your beautiful name, the Lord Jesus, our Savior, the one who loves us, the one who gave himself for us. And we know, Father, that you love us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so, Father, this morning as we call out to you, we just thank you that you are a prayer-answering God, that you hear us from the moment we begin. You know what we need, even before we ask. But Father, you love to hear us ask. You love for our hearts to, to demonstrate our, our yieldedness to you and our longing for you and the fact that we don't rely on ourselves, but we rely totally and fully on you. So our Father, this morning, would you feed us from your word, the bread of life? It sustains us, it strengthens us, Father, and we need to hear from you. So I pray that our hearts might be inclined to listen to you, to respond to you, And our Father, thank you that you give us these precious truths, that you teach us the great things of our God. And so, Lord, we now um, turn our attention to the Word of God, and uh, we call on the name of the Lord to help us to study, to understand, to receive, to welcome the truth. Lord, thank you that you um, go before us in life. Thank you that you've set us up for this week to come by your great grace. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Well, this past um, Thursday night, I was out with a few guys, what we love to do after Deacon's meeting, fill up on sugar and caffeine at Tim Hortons, and, uh, and argue theology. But uh, actually, that's not what we did this past Thursday night. We were more recounting and talking about some of the things that, that we remembered over the last decade. And in particular, we were talking about uh, the, uh, the first few weeks when I arrived here. And we weren't talking about fun times. We were talking about how many difficult, distressing challenges were on your lives. The first Sunday I arrived here, was, or the first Tuesday I arrived here to work was a, was a funeral. And shortly after that, more difficult things unraveled. Things that were tough on our hearts. You'd think by now we wouldn't be as shocked when life serves us up a dish of nastiness. But but I don't know. Every time I I still find myself um, shocked and confused and and staggered by the amount of of challenge and struggle. Maybe it's because for some reason each of us think that maybe we're, we're under the security of uh, of the heavenlies, and, and we are, but, but as I wake up each morning, I think sometimes I, I wonder if maybe it's Revelation 21, maybe, maybe there's no more mourning, maybe there's no more dying, maybe there's no more pain or no more crying, and then I realize, no, wait a second, that, that, that is the promise once the old order has passed away, the old order that we presently live in, and so in truth, we we realize that every day in the theater of Christian life is, is shockingly dangerous and painful and unsafe and unhealthy and filled with challenges, filled with nastiness. Maybe we should have taken more notice of the not-so-subtle scriptural descriptions of Christian living. We're living sacrifices. I mean, that should be somewhat of a hint. 
of how life is going to be for us. In Romans, Paul reminded the, the, the Christians that for Christ's sake, we face death all day long. We are like sheep led to slaughter. Jesus said to his followers, if they hated me, they're certainly going to hate you. We realize that also in the scriptures, we're taught that, that to the perishing, we are the stench of death. And, and that the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives. And, and on and on I could go. As we wind up the, uh, the teaching in the, uh, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, and that long presentation of Daniel 10, 11, and 12 that that is a, a message, a revelation from the living God. We, we realize that at this very beginning of the chapter, uh, Daniel is told that there is coming a time that is going to be more distressful than any other time in all of human history, such as has never been and never will be. Now that's a troubling report. That's a distressful report. And, and we learned that, that when Daniel... Uh, encountered this revelation, encountered this message, it, it distressed him so that he, he fell on the ground. He, he couldn't even stand. He lost his strength. He was, he was in mourning. But the, um, the fascinating thing is that in the midst of this distressful, disturbing prophecy that, that the living God presents to Daniel and ultimately now presents to us, God gives him a pep talk of encouragement that, that reminds him of the greatness of God. And, and, and in the midst of this challenge and struggle and disturbing things and uh, all of the nastiness that God has some amazingly great things in store. And, and so as we serve up this dose of reality this morning, I, I want to remind you that, that the... Uh, the view from heaven is quite different than the sight lines often from earth, from our sight lines. So this morning I want to look at that question. What is the view from heaven when the sight lines from the ground are very distressing? And I want to share with you four life-changing revelations from the very mouth of the Lord. Daniel chapter 12. I want to point out to you that this, as I said, is the continuing revelation, the continuing message that started back in Daniel chapter 10. And uh, that message was brought to Daniel by none other than, I believe, the second person of the Trinity, a pre-incarnate visitation of the second person of the Trinity. You'll remember back in Daniel chapter 12 that we encountered the man in verse 5, Daniel chapter 10. I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like Lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Well, by the time we get to Daniel chapter 12, we encounter this same man clothed in linen. Verse 6, one of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river. Then in verse 7, the man clothed in linen. So who is this man clothed in linen? Well, I, I believe that it's the same vision that John had and the Isle of Pat Patmos in the first chapter of Revelation, it's none other than the living Christ himself. And, and uh, we have this encounter 
of this one. And by the way, it's solidified, I think, in the meaning by it says that this one was above the waters or was hovering above the river. That's a description that for many of us sounds very familiar. It reminds us of the book of Genesis. In fact, it reminds us of the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where the presence of God or the Spirit of God hovered over the deep at creation. The creative Spirit of God was over the water. And this presentation, this vision of of this one dressed in linen with this this vision over the water is, is to my way of thinking, none other than than the second person of the Trinity. And then... He lifts up his right hand and he lifts up his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever. The same, uh, the same picture, the same description of the living God that Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy 32 verse 40. And so here we have this revelation right from the mouth of the Lord to Daniel. By the way, following after a very hard predicted time of turmoil in Daniel chapter 11, this announcement comes to him in verse 1 that there will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. And Daniel's thinking, man, I've just heard nation will rise up against nation and and plot against plot and and, and people will be destroyed and, and it'll be a time of hardship and grief and persecution And great distress. And now this statement to me is there's going to be a time of distress that that is is not happened from the beginning of the nations until until then. What kind of an announcement is this? Now I want you to know that um, throughout the scriptures this particular, uh, we've wound ourselves through the the, uh, prophecies of Daniel to the... uh, very last chapter, and we've come into the time, what's called the time of great tribulation, the time of great distress, the time that's called in the Bible, Jacob's troubles. And in verse 1, it says at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. And so this is a prophecy, and it goes on as we read through the verse, but at that time, your people, and, and referencing your people means the Jews. That's who Daniel's people were. And so uh, what we're going to talk about here is, is not a church event at all, it's, uh, but it has enduring principles that I want to share with you that, that apply to the church. But this is fundamentally the last three and a half weeks of Daniel's 70th week that are pro- pro- uh, proclaimed here, are prophesied here, uh, uh, called the Great Tribulation. And um, I'm going to take some time uh, in, in a couple of weeks to try and pull some of this together and some of these descriptions, and I don't want to take a lot of time right now this morning uh, to catch you up on, on, on the tribulation and the great distress and Jacob's troubles and all of that, but suffice it to say that as you read through the scriptures, you find out that, that there's coming a time at the very end, and this is the last three and a half years of recorded human history, of significant recorded human history, and, and as this last three and a half years unravels, it's the worst uh, time ever in human history. Jesus talks about it himself when he's talking in, in, uh, in the book of Matthew. And, and uh, this time is a time where God will actually punish sinfulness and give full vent to his holy displeasure uh, with respect to the sinfulness of this world. And at the same time, he will prepare the hearts of unbelieving Jews to receive Messiah. They refuse to receive him first time. In fact, Jesus uh, proclaimed this when he came into Jerusalem 
And he was overlooking Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 23, a text very familiar to you. And he called out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who, those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. And then he says this, for I tell you, he prophesies himself, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so this is the purpose of that, the great tribulation, to finally awaken the hearts of unbelieving Jews who refuse to recognize Messiah and will call out this final time, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so this is what this time is all about. And, and, and Daniel's being told about this. And Michael, the great archangel, is, is protecting and preparing. Now, what I want you to notice here is the amazing grace of God. Because you have the promise of protection preceding trouble. I think that's a pretty significant reality. Keep in mind that this prophecy is not to people who worship the Lord Jesus Christ. This grace of God that's extended is not to to a wonderful group of people sitting in a church worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. This is to post-cross Jews whenever who are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a promise of God's grace being extended to them, which is an amazing thing. We love him because he first loved us. And so Michael has promised this protection, the protection that will arise even before the trouble is announced. But by the way, as you look and you read on, it says that this, but at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. What book is he talking about? Deliverance is literally here by the book, which we find out as we read through the scriptures is the Lamb's book of life. From the book of Exodus right through to the book of Revelation. And I've given you a, a series of, of scriptural texts there for your, for your own uh, study. But from the Exodus right through to Revelation, there's this discussion about the book whereby names are written of those who are faith-filled people. The Lamb's Book of Life, and, and, um, which is uh, written in the ink of the sacrificed Son of God, the sacrificed Son of God's blood. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it tells us here that all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast or the Antichrist, all whose names have not been written in the Book of Life, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. The sacrificial, uh, the, the sacrificial um, uh, uh, plan and purpose uh, of the living Christ is, is, is recorded in timeless eternity. And the presentation here is this proclamation that, that the names of, of those who are filled with faith will be recorded in this book. As you read on in a couple of chapters later in Revelation 17, verse 8. It says there, again, the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished at the Antichrist when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. And so not only is, uh, is, is the, the uh, teaching of the, the fact of the, the, the sacrificed Messiah uh, 
in the plan and purpose of God before the creation of the world, but also those names that are written in the Lamb's book of life are recorded there, those who are faith-filled, before even the time of creation. And so it's an amazing presentation of God's grace. Before you had done anything good or bad, God has called you out by His grace and not by righteous acts that you have done. Because of the Lamb's blood, we have access, and the only access to salvation. In fact, um, if you're still, your finger's still in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, it says there, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Pretty significant teaching here and pretty important to understand that if you're in the book, you had better identify yourself. I mean, when it comes time for that great white throne Judgment. If you're in that book, you better identify yourself. That's why the psalmist says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Proclaim who you are in this presentation of this recording of God's faith-filled servants in this amazing teaching. We'll be delivered. We'll be rescued. All this talk uh, uh, in this text of, of the horrible trouble and pain and injustice and death, you, you come to a... a, a a uh, emotional place where you say, is, is that all there is, Lord? Is, is that all there is? And no, in verse 2 it says, no, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. The, the second reality here is that bodily resurrection is the eternal destiny of all. Now this is the, uh, the first Old Testament presentation uh, that, that is with great clarity about resurrection. There have been allusions to it in other places in the Old Testament, but this is the most powerful, most impactful, most, the, the most clear presentation of resurrection. And you have here this, this, um, this proclamation, this reality that, that the dead are considered by God as sleepers, and they will awake. Now, this is not, by the way, just a, a spiritual consciousness. But this resurrection that's talked about here, which is expanded on in the New Testament, is the actual uh, eternal bodies, uh, eternal resurrection. People whose bodies have expired, that have stopped working, that have decayed, will awake from their state of inanimation and come to life. And, And there's a distinct separation here of this coming to life. You have either... A, a glorified everlasting body, which is presented here. We will be like him, as John writes in 1 John 3, 2, because we will see him as he is. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18 and 4, 17, 18 to 5, chapter 5 and following, we find out that if this tent gives way, it says there we have an eternal dwelling from God, not made with human hands. And so there's this presentation that is, that is fresh and powerful and new and, and stated to Daniel. Daniel, some will awake to everlasting life. It's this suddenness of waking up and then having this realization that you're in a certain permanent state. That's the one side of it. But it says the other side is that most... Will, will resurrect or will, will awake to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, um, these words 
lend us a description that is very, very um, gripping. What we have here is you will either wake up to a glorified everlasting life body or an eternally grotesque body of sin-shaped shame. The word here, shame, means scorn or taunt or wrangling or railing. The word contempt here means abhorrence or aversion. What we have to understand here is by description, what we are being told here is you will either rise to be in a glorified body to everlasting life or you will be resurrected to a, a, a house uh, to be housed and trapped forever in a body made fully by sin. Now think about that. The others, those who are faithful to the Lord, glorified everlasting life bodies, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. These will be seen as they are for all eternity. Now, you know that sin distorts everything. It misshapes everything. It, it ruins everything. Now, this eternal reality is that this will be the completed expression of the absolute opposite of beauty. What we have here is ultimately a scornful, grotesque ball of eternal taunt. We have here a graceless ball of hate. This is the description. To awaken people to the reality that what is done when one is in this present body matters for all eternity. And so, um, bodily resurrection is the eternal destiny of all. And then he moves on to say in verse 3 that, I want, to, I want to share with you, Daniel, how making your life worthwhile really happens. How many of you are aware that tonight is the Academy Awards? You know that? I see Academy Awards. The living God here presents to Daniel his own roster, characteristics of those who will receive eternal rewards. He gives here this, this big-time eternal rewards are based on God's Definition of what true stardom is. And, and he says it here in the text. Those who are wise. Those are the stars. When, when God's announcing, when he's tearing open the envelope, the Lamb's book of life, saying, and the award goes to so-and-so because they were wise. And what's wisdom? It says in the... Uh, Word of God that the, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. It, it's what it means to have the full presence of the Spirit of God being influenced, influenced by God's Spirit. It, it says in the book of James that if any of you lack wisdom, ask the Lord for it, who gives to you liberally, to all who will ask. Uh, wisdom or uh, the distinction, the characteristics of those who are wise, they, they, they discern the difference between real and phony. They avoid self-destructive choices and reckless choices in life. They know how to, what, how to correctly criticize false teaching or false gods or worship that would lead people away from the living God. 
Wise people hear God's voice above all other noises that are competing for their ear. They welcome his truth. They know the difference between the spirit of God and unholy spirits. And what's significant here is, of course, in this time of great distress, keep in mind the the context here is during those three and a half last years of great distress. What are the wise doing? It says in the text that the wise are leading people to righteousness. They're leading people to the right ways of God. That's, That's who the wise are. They give themselves to what they were made to do. You know, each of us should understand that in God's economy, when he talks about stardom, when he talks about about what really pleases him, when he talks about rewards and and, and who are the the real stars of, of the world, it's about those who give their lives for something that's really worthwhile. And when you're thinking about a young person just... Just embarking on their life choices. What is the greatest choice that you can make in your life? It's the choice that whatever God calls you to do, whatever occupation you have, make sure that in that occupation you occupy yourself with leading people to the right ways of God. Whatever that is. That's what the wise do. Make, those, make that the choice of your life. When you're asking someone uh, about a decision they're making in life, uh, uh, whether it be a career decision, particularly, uh, I, wanna, I, I think God wants me to do this, or a young person saying, well, I really think God wants me to do this, just look at them and say, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something that really, really makes your life worthwhile? And whatever that is, make sure that you occupy yourself fully in leading people to the right ways of God. That's what the wise do. That's who gets called up on the carpet before God in the right way. Presenting them, he says in the text, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Did you look up at the, at the sky last night? Did anybody look up there and see the, the, the heavenly proclamation in the sky? Did you see that? The crescent moon was shining brightly. How many saw up there in the sky last night? You did much better than the first service. Now, I was thinking probably the first service people were asleep before the sky even came out. So they could get up early for that's That's who they are, right? They're like, they get up in the morning. They've never seen the stars in their life. But anyway... If you looked up there, you saw the crescent moon. And what else did you see? You saw Venus shining brightly. And, and Jupiter was off there. And it was the most spectacular thing. And, and, I, and I said to the first service people, you ought to get out there and look at the sky once in a while. It, it proclaims the glory of God. It preaches a sermon even before you get to church. And, and it reminded me last night as I looked up at the sky of what I had read here in the text. Of, uh, of those who are, are wise. Those who, who lead people to righteousness. Who lead people to the right ways of God. And they shine like the stars in the sky. In a contrast to the darkness all around. And that's a promise forever from our God. As a reward to those who are wise. And then fourthly, this, the, the, the revelation goes on in verse 4. But you, Daniel, close up. And seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there and increase knowledge. Uh, what the, the fourth um, life-changing revelation is this. That all the spoils go to those who value the record of God's rule over their own answers and information. Daniel, this is how it's going to roll out. Now, um, we need to understand that in the ancients, they would... Um, there would be the, the, the official scroll, the official document that would be um, 
finished, written, and then it would be sealed. But they would make a copy as well. And that copy would be the circulated document, but the real official document was sealed for the time that it was necessary as the official one. And he's basically saying to Daniel, seal all this up. Not, not keep it away from all the people, but seal up this official document in the sense that when this time comes, what I have said to you is going to roll out exactly the way I have stated it. The way it is prophesied is the way it will be. He says, and... Uh, Unfortunately, Daniel, many will chase here and there and everywhere for information and knowledge, except here, the Word of God. And isn't that true of our, of our time? Aren't we really the epitome of the information generation? I mean, isn't it the, the biggest rewards and spoils go to the person who can make the most amount of information in the smallest amount of space? Isn't that who we reward now? You know, don't we love carrying around our, our little tiny things that have all of the information in the world? Make sure you have lots of Bible programs on. Because that's, that's where real learning comes from. Daniel, this is the real deal. Seal it up until the uh, seals are open in Revelation 5. Until God opens up the seals. We live in a time that worships information. A generation pursuing their own answers instead of God's. There's lots of information assembled, but not much learning. People look everywhere but to the truth. That's the description of how it will be, Daniel. What I note in Jesus' teachings is that the truth of God is intentionally difficult except to those who see the value enough to give all in exchange for it. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus spoke, of course, another parable, but he spoke in many parables on purpose. The kingdom of heaven, he said, is like, a tre- like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Daniel, this understanding of these things will be available to those who, who see the true value of it, who, who, who are like a person who saw a treasure in a field and he went and he sold everything that he had so he could buy that field so he could have that treasure. Those are the people, Daniel, who will, who will be granted the insight into the word of God and to understand it because they value it and treasure it. All the spoils will go to those who value the record of God's rule. And then, of course, in verse 5, Daniel, it says, Daniel looked, and there before him stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. Who were these two others? Well, we've already met them in Daniel. It's probably Michael the archangel and Gabriel. 
And one of them, we're not told which one, said to the man clothed in linen, who we believe is an appearance of the second person of the Trinity, asked this question, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? All of this stuff we've been told, Lord, how long? This um, phrase, astonishing things, is, um, could be translated unheard of things or, or this uber suffering time, Lord. You've talked about this, this time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of the nation until then. How long? That, that time, Lord, how long? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time. Now, we've already encountered that. We've encountered that in Daniel 7.25, the time that the saints will be, um, will be um, handed over to the Antichrist. We, we've encountered that. We, we encounter it also at, at, at the back of the book in Revelation chapter 11, verse 2, as 42 months. If you do the math of that, that's three and a half years. A year, two years, and half a year. In fact, um, in verse 11, it says, From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and abomination causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. I'm going to explain to you in another sermon why it's not 1,260. But we'll save that. There's a reason for that. In other words, he says, Daniel, he says to the angel, when daily sacrifices are made illegal, start counting. That's the teaching here. And, and the understanding of a year or two years or, or a time, times, and half a time is, is, is the idea when wickedness seems to gain momentum, it will suddenly be stopped. Jesus in Matthew 24, 21 and 22 said, If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Just when it seems that, that wickedness and evil is, is about to completely obliterate human life, it'll be over. God will call enough. He says there's more to it than that. Not only... When wickedness comes to full fruition, but he says, when the power of the holy people, the Jews, has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. In other words, finally when their pride and their self-sufficiency, they, they finally turn to the living God and call out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then all these things will be completed. So you have when the power of human resources is finally exhausted, God's power, God powers his purposes. When people in their stubbornness finally come to recognize that, that self-reliance is useless, trying to win on your own is hopeless, it will be over. So then Daniel says in verse 8, I heard... But I did not understand. So he says, Lord, Lord, there was nothing wrong with my hearing. But I'm not understanding. 
And in not understanding, it's code for something else because he goes on to say really what he wanted to say when I think when he says, my Lord, what will the outcome of all of this be? Now you got to throw yourselves in Daniel's sneakers for a second and realize that he has just listened and witnessed and seen an unfolding of horrible, horrible things and distress and warfare and persecution and loss of life and all of that. And, and God is, is, the living God has said to him that, that, that Michael is there for protection of his people and, and that God's going to deliver and rescue the people and, and that there's a, a resurrection unto everlasting life and there's rewards and all of that. And, but Daniel's saying, well, I got to ask you, Lord, what's, what's the purpose of all this? What's the point? What's the point of all this hardship? All this suffering? Isn't there another way to get there, Lord? And the Lord replies to him, Go your way, Daniel. Because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. It's set, Daniel. What I have said is set. And there's more here than you can possibly ever understand or see. But let me just say this to you. And he comes, he gives him those, this most amazing, profound yet simple response. Maybe not the one we want to hear, but the truth. What's the purpose of all of this suffering and distress and tribulation and hardship? And he says this in verse 10. Here's the purpose, Daniel. Many will be purified and made spotless and refined. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. That's the purpose? That's the purpose of all of this? That's the purpose of, of suffering and hardship and distress in our own lives? Yeah, that's, that's it. The righteous will be made more. More of what they are. Refined. Purified. Shaped. Into robust faith. God tests us with trials to to make our faith more robust so that when wickedness whips hard winds in our face, we won't be tempted to turn back. We'll push forward. My love, Daniel, isn't a pampering love. It's a purifying love. Who of us here hasn't planted a a sapling of a tree and, and tied it up, staked it in the ground. Why? Because it couldn't take the heavy winds. As they blow on it, it needed support, it needed help. And those winds continue to blow and it grows and it grows. And, and, and eventually you take those things off. And you wake up one day and you realize that that tree can stand against the wind. It can stand against the firing line. Daniel, this is the purpose. 
This has been the outcome all along. This has been the reason that, that I have allowed so much stress and distress in your own life. Why you were, uh, why you were throw, why, why your friends were thrown into a fiery furnace, why you were thrown into a lion's den, while you faced all of that struggle and challenge, Daniel. It was all about strengthening you, giving you a robust faith. It was one more intense yet gracious occasion for the genuine to be made more complete in Christ and the hateful and sinful to validate their doom by rejecting repentance. Daniel, the sad reality is this last gasp of tribulation and distress will strengthen the resolve of those who are genuine And it will set in contrast those who are wicked. Instead of taking the opportunity and the patience because of the patience of God to repent, they will be hardened in their wickedness and seal their doom. Make no mistake about it, Daniel. The making of a person of faith and wisdom is not easy. It's not light, it's not quick, it's not painless. The breaking of self-reliance doesn't go down without a fight. Self-centeredness is always the loudest noise in your heart. It doesn't step aside quietly. The embracing of grace will not take hold until contracts, wages, and rewards for good behavior are seen for what they are, self-righteousness. Daniel Suffering will establish the right stuff for eternity. The kind that won't be tempted after 10,000 years to turn back and rebel against God. This is the mystery of our life, and I think it is finally answered for us at the end of the prophecy. Why the pain? Why the distress? Why the suffering? Why not just make it easy? Why not just make it always about rewards? To understand the real horror of sin, one has to experience the pain. To understand the mind of Christ. You don't get filled with faith. You don't get filled with real vicariously. You have to live it yourself. You don't know disappointment until you've had it. You can't understand pain by reading about it in a book. How do you really learn to be more understanding, more forgiving, less judgmental, less self-righteous? Isn't it in the crucible of pain and distress It doesn't come to us from the naivety of a painless life. We can't experience the fullness of Christ's likeness and not share in his sufferings as well. I think Buchanan, forget his name, wrote the book, Your God is Too Small. I think Buchanan is right. He said, all of this is not so much to be healed as to be able to be a healer. I think he's right. Daniel, 
Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. I wonder if um, the Apostle Peter wasn't taking his cue from this text when he was writing to the Roman Christians in persecution. And he said this to them in 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you may not have seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our Father and our God, You have set before us in this text great contrasts. Deliverance for the righteous. Resurrection to those. Resurrection to everlasting life to those who love you. Shining like stars in all eternity. Rewards to those who are yours. The... um, Insight into the word of God to those who love God's rule. And then our Father, insight into the purposes, the point of pain and suffering and distress. That we might have a faith that's robust and stands in the face of the winds of wickedness. Having stood press on our faith more precious than gold robust ready for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ so our father we thank you this morning and we proclaim you with our hearts for Jesus sake amen says Daniel um When the end comes, I want you to know something about me, the living God. That I am the God who rescues. I am the God who will resurrect to everlasting life. I am the God who rewards those who are wise and lead people to righteousness. I am the God who who gives to those, gives knowledge to those who who value God's rule in their lives. But in all of that, Daniel, it's in the context of distress and struggling and persecution that those who are rich in faith might be proven genuine at the appearing of the Lord. He says this to Daniel with some sort of urgency because he's talking about the last three and a half years of human opportunity. Daniel, during that time, is no time to be light in this faith stuff. You better have it, Daniel. 
so what does that mean to us? We're not there in that last three and a half. But we're here now. Who of us knows whether we have another three and a half years or three and a half months or three and a half minutes? This is no time to be light in the faith stuff. There are great contrasts that have been set out in this prophecy to those who are righteous versus those who are wicked. Today is the day of salvation. Respond to the call of Christ today that you may be counted among the righteous to be rescued, to be resurrected to everlasting life, to be rewarded, to be rich in faith, to be able to stand when the wicked winds blow strong in your face. And having stood, to move forward for Christ and for his sake. Our Father, may that be so of us. We long to be faithful because you are faithful. Lord, help us to learn through the trials and the troubles. Help us to be refined, purified, made spotless for your glory, your honor. In Jesus' name.